Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Welcome, everyone, to a fresh edition of GTF, Gabriel Talks Football. My name is Aldo Gandia, and I just want to quickly remind you that all of our shows now are on audio podcast. You can find them on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify. This show will be on available and audio-only version of it will be on any of those podcast plat- platforms and many more. Just search for Barroom Network. Now, Our guest today is somebody that I have been dying to have here on the Barroom Network for years, and it's this man here, Greg Gabriel, has made it happen. Greg, how are you, my friend? I'm doing real good. How about you? I'm doing great. Why don't you introduce your special guest? One of my favorite all-time bears, and a guy actually I've known since uh, his senior year at the University of New Hampshire, Jerry Azuma. There he is. All right. How's it going, guys? Great, great. Real good. Great to have you here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Hey, you thank you for coming on. Hey, I got to, just to start off, I got a question for you, because I really don't, I might have known the answer a while ago, but I, I either forgot or never got it. But I remember I was working for the Giants in 99, mm-hmm. and, um, or actually 98, 99, you were in the 99 draft. So 98, and I uh, scouted you up with New Hampshire, and then back it was either December or January that year. I went up to UNH to work you out with this thing we called the box. We did it in the gymnasium. I don't know if you remember that. The box. Oh, man. Yeah, well, it, it, it was way it was back. Combine. Yeah, we're, you know, this is 25 years ago or something. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, we did it in the gym. It was agility drills that were electronically timed. But we were. You know, we had you scouted and thought you were going to be a running back, and you were a hell of a running back at UNH. I think you ran for over 6,000 yards. Yeah. So the Bears draft you in the fifth round, 99, and they switch you over to the other side of the ball. How did that come about? You know what? It's I really don't know how that came about. Um, you know, like you said, I rushed for over 6,000 yards, and um, the ball – in my hands just always felt comfortable. It always felt like home. So um, I did the uh, the combine as a running back and I thought I did pretty well at the combine. I went to uh, the hula bowl and I was a running back there. And then I had several workouts as a running back. And then uh, I would say uh, I got invited to go to BC's pro day. So they're the big university that was in the area. Right. Went up there and they had a guy by the name of Mike Cloud who was a running back. I think he got drafted in the second or third round to the Chiefs. Really strong, really great running back. And um, I guess they wanted to see how I stacked up to him. So I remember doing all of the drills. um, And then this guy comes over to me and he's like, hey, there's a little bit of a buzz going on that you could possibly be a defensive back. And that was the first time I ever heard of that. I was like, defensive back? Like, why would <laughs> I make a living going forward, not going backwards? <laughs> you know, I, I have, I've never gone. The only time I go backwards is on Madden. So we had a, 
a quick little uh, discussion. He's like, I want to take you through some drills. So I said, all right, I've never done these drills before. I've never backpedaled. I've never, you know, done a change of direction or any of that stuff. So um, if you're going to take me through these drills, I'm willing to do it. So I did it. Uh, it took about like 20 minutes or 30 minutes. And uh, he shakes my hand. And it was Phil Emery at the time who actually okay. me through those, those drills. So we all know Phil Emery became, you know, right. Chicago Bears, so on and so forth. But he was the very first person, I think, that was like, you know what? There's a little bit of a buzz that you could possibly be uh, a defensive back because of your athletic ability. And uh, it happened. <laughs> it happened with the Chicago Bears. That's a DB. So, I mean, they right after, did they tell you right after they drafted you? Because it was two years later that, that we came in. And yeah. you were already – starting corner at that time yeah so um, i was getting calls I, knew- I was getting calls in the draft and um it was very interesting because i was like okay I'm, i might go that i might go in this round i might go in this round so i ended up sliding i got picked up in the fifth round the chicago bears were on the phone they called me up and they said hey we want to draft you and i was like at this point i was a little beat up and i was like it'd be great if someone if anybody drafted me at this point and um, the Chicago Bears were like, you know, we're going to take you. Um, and I said, well, finally, somebody wants me to run with the football with them. For them. And they were like, uh, not exactly. We're, we're looking at you as defensive back. And I was like, defensive back? I just couldn't really, under- really couldn't understand it because I've only really worked out a, a handful of times, small handful of times as a DB, um, for, obviously for Phil Emery. And I just didn't really understand it. But they said, you know what? We uh, – we, we love your athletic ability. We think that you can um, be very productive at this level on this side of the ball. So I said, you know what, if you're willing to take a chance on me, which is a big chance because you could easily draft a defensive back, um, then I'm your guy. I'm going to go in there. And I already knew with the mindset that I'm going to have to play special teams and I'm just going to have to be a quick learner. Um, and that's pretty much what happened. So I got there. I remember seeing T-Med and T-Med was like, hey, what position are you? And I was like, Running back. He was like, I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, okay, fine. I'm a DB. So that's pretty much how it happened. It was, it was kind of, um, there, there was talks about it, but I didn't really think that it was something that I'd be doing at the next level because running back, you know, I was a highly productive running back. And I thought that that was the the direction that I was going to go in at the next level. But there was a different calling for me and they, they liked me as a defensive back and, that was that was my career. Well, you ended up being a pretty darn good one. But did you when, when you first so you're in, in in the off season program shortly after you get drafted and and you're now playing a new position that you never played before in your life. What was that like? <laughs> one of the hardest <laughs> things that I've ever had to do. Um, I felt like everyone was getting their PhDs and I was just entering kindergarten. That's what I felt like. Um, I didn't know. I really, I, I mean, I knew the game of football, but I just didn't understand it from the defensive side at all. Um, I remember Van, Vance Bedford. He was my uh, position coach. And I remember uh, talking to him and we're kind of going over like some schemes and some coverages, particular uh, cover two. And he's like, draw it up on the board. So I drew it up on the board and uh, in front of everyone in the, in the classroom. And everyone's like staring at it, just looking at it like, what is going on? And as you know, Greg, I drew it up as if I'm a running back. 
So Vance is like, look, everything is right, but you're a DB now. You have to draw it this way <laughs> in the reverse. So just being able to see the field um, from a completely different standpoint was very awkward for me. Um, obviously, running forward and running backwards are two totally different things. And then uh, at the time, we had Curtis Conway, who was a hell of a wide receiver for us, um, and uh, Bobby Ingram. You know, these guys were elite wide receivers at that time, and they would just take me to town because I just didn't really understand it. Um, so when people ask me, like, one of the, what, are, what is one of the hardest things that you had to overcome, I would say just learning how to see the, the, uh, the field as a defensive back and then simply backpedaling. I mean, I, I wasn't built for backpedaling. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and now I'm doing it at the highest level possible. So things are moving so much faster. Everyone um, has their assignments down packed. So it was a big learning curve for me. Um, and it took a lot. It took a lot of time for me to try to get a grasp of that. Luckily, I had some really good um, uh, mentors that were there um, when I was there and they really understood the system and understood like how to um, be a productive DB. Walter Harris was was a guy that I just leaned on tremendously, uh, but I really enjoyed my time. It was very difficult. I'm not going to lie, um, but somehow I started to really make that transition and things started to kind of slow down. I, I noticed that I didn't have to use all of. <laughs> my physical traits all at once every single time I just started to really understand the game and the game started to slow down a little bit for me and then I got moved into the inside position and that's where I basically felt comfortable it was being a nickelback being out on that island is just something that's really special that a lot of people just don't understand you are literally on an island and right. move me inside me being the natural running back that I am I just felt at home with all these big bodies and I knew that I could get physical. I knew I'd be in run support with our base cover too. So I just felt right at home when they moved me inside. So how long was it before your rookie year ended or in year two? So 2000 that you started to feel comfortable playing on defense as a corner. I would say it took me, it probably took me year three until I really started to feel comfortable. Um, year year one. So that's was, year three is when, when we came in. So that was yeah, our was first when year. You came in. Yeah. Right. And that's when um, I think Peanut showed up as well. We had R.W. McCord. No, Peanut was, Peanut was the following was, year. Yeah, the following year. So we had, um, I think we had R.W. McCorders. We had Walter. Um, we had Mike Brown that was there as well. Um, right. So we had, we had some guys that could that could make some plays and and were really savvy veterans. So I was just kind of learning from them. Um, the, the main thing that I took away was I knew that I had the physical ability to, to hang with guys, but just the, the mental aspect, I just had to slow the game down and just kind of study and figure out the ins and out of how the defense actually worked and how, how offenses were trying to attack me. And then once I started to slow that down and then they moved me to the slot, I felt like I was extremely productive from that standpoint. Let me ask you this stuff, because I, I don't know if I'm getting old. My memory might be wandering a little bit here. We had a game up in Green Bay. Mm -hmm. And I remember I drove up the morning of the game and we jump out 14 to nothing. And I know you had an early TD. 
I remember it as a pick six. Aldo thought it was a kickoff return. Kickoff return, yep. It was a kickoff return, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what, man, there was some, some wonderful times in Green Bay. Um, people always ask me, um, what are what is one of the greatest places that I've played at uh, stadium-wise? And I always tell people Green Bay. Um, I grew up as a Chicago Bear fan. Uh, I was born in Oklahoma. And um, I would always watch the Chicago Bears with Walter Payton. And that's where the love of being a running back kind of came from. So, you know, just being, just be, just knowing the tradition and the history of the Chicago Bears, and they always had the rival with Green Bay. I was like, damn, I, I can't wait to play in a place like that. And then finally, when I got my opportunity, I was like, wow, this place is really special. <laughs> really special. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't like the back. <laughs> can't stand their asses, but it's a really fun place to play. Yeah, and I got to tell you, going there as a I got fan, a little, little trivia. Okay. Uh, go ahead, Greg. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead, and then I'll. I'll I was just gonna say, thought. going going up to Lambeau Field as a fan and a, a diehard Chicago Bears fan, I've been since the late 1960s. But going to Lambeau Field as a fan is, is something I think every Chicago Bears fan should go to. And I just want to also say, the move that you make on this kick return, <laughs> let, let me uh, let me go back, let me rewind it back. Uh, this move right here. Oh, right. You're gonna play it over. Up right, yeah, right, right there. Yeah, baby, that is sweet, man. <laughs> I thought that after is... that move, they were going to give me the run, the chance to be a running back. They <laughs> <I> should have. <laughs> I, I can't. Have... There's nothing showing on my screen. Oh, you're not seeing it. Oh, but Jerry, can there, you see it? That's the end of it. Yeah, I can see it. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, it's a sensational move. And I'm sorry, Greg. Go ahead with your question. Well, no, I was going to say a little trivia for people listening in. The last touchdown at the old Soldier Field before they did the renovation was scored by this guy on a yes. pick six of Donovan McNabb Donovan in January 2002. And probably about three hours after that pick six, the wrecking ball was already banging away at the stadium. <laughs> I think I almost got hit by it. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Some fun times, man. It's a, a lot of fun, a lot of history, a lot of tradition. It was it was great way back then, way back in those black and white days, I think that is. <laughs> <laughs> it was easy to find. So you played for Dick Duran, and Greg Blosh was your, your defensive coordinator. Yes. yes. And then we came in with – and Lovey, Lovey comes in in 2004. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Greg. But we come in in 2004, and Lovey installs a new defense – was that like a whole new learning curve for you? With yeah. Defense as compared to the defense Greg ran? Yes, uh, very, very much so. Um, Lovey was a standard, you know, uh, Tampa two type of guy. So he expected his corners to be into run defense and to jam at the line of scrimmage and do things like that, which I loved. I, I loved the contact and the physicality of it. So it was kind of playing up to my strengths. And um, I know beforehand, uh, when Dick was there, we were playing a lot of like cover one, you know, and that was very difficult to me because it, it just took a lot of time for me to figure out how to guard people one on one and then figure out the NFL rules behind that, which you can't touch. Any. <laughs> so um, right. we came um, and they switched to cover two. I felt like I, I felt extremely comfortable being in that system. 
And then we had rock stars on our defense too. I mean, we had Ted Washington, Keith Trailer, and then we had obviously Brian Erlacher. We had Lance Briggs. We had Mike Brown. We had Peanut Tillman. Like we had some rock stars on this defense, and it was just a lot of fun to play in. And you always wanted to be the next person to make plays. And we were just built on strength. We we're built on speed, overall team speed. And Lovey just always preached, take the ball away. And we got really good at it. And it became really fun. It became competitive amongst us to go out there and, for, and force turnovers and, and take the ball away. So those are some of the glory years, man. I mean, we had some characters on our team. They, were, they played free. They played fast. They understood the game. We helped each other out tremendously. It was just a lot of fun to play for that that team. Yeah, it was. Those were the good old days. But look at my friend. I know you got some things you got to go to. I got uh, one more sure. question for him. Okay. I got yes. one more question. Okay. Uh, Jerry, Jerry, this is from my co-host uh, on a show that we do on Tuesday nights. He wanted me to ask you this question, but actually, I'm going to have him ask it. Here I honestly comes. thought. That the 0-1 team was a like a team of destiny. The comebacks against San Francisco, Cleveland. I mean, to be down 21-7 with 32 seconds to go and you win the game. And the way Mike Brown won both of those games, it just felt this is our year, man. And you know, you're balling and Ted Washington and RW McQuarters. I mean, it's fun, man. And then the final game ever at Soldier Field, the original Soldier Field the confounding loss to Donovan McNabb. And so I guess my open-ended question to you is like, what happened? It's just like everything that went right suddenly was wrong. I know that's a simplistic take, but it's like suddenly McNabb was like balling like he was like Jordan in, in 97. Yeah. You thought when Jim Miller got hurt, not that I wanted Jim hurt, but Shane Matthews had led these comebacks and uh, we're going to be okay after Hugh Douglas hit Jim Miller, but we weren't okay, and the Bears' fantastic season at 13-3 and three was swept away in a heartbreaking defeat. So, in your own words, sir, what the hell happened? <laughs> well, we, we ran into a really good team. Um, I believe that they went pretty deep, and they were taking the, the, the show on the road with the Eagles, and Donovan, they, they were led by Donovan McNabb. So, offensively, they had weapons all over the place, and we knew that. We knew that we could hang with them, but man, we just had a couple of like really silly breakdown type of plays, but we were still in the game, you know? And then um, some things happened and the game kind of broke open, broke us apart wide open. And then we just weren't able to recover. Everybody talks about the offense and we can't just keep on blaming the offense because we're the ones that gave up all those points. So we had a lot of different breakdowns over the course of that game that kind of picked away at what we were trying to do defensively. And we just couldn't stop it. You know, it was just one of those situations where they just caught us at the right time uh, on a bad day, pretty much. And that was just kind of the end of the season, but that season was extremely magical. I mean, the things that we were able to do during that season was fantastic. Uh, you know, Mike Brown with the Deja two, you know, back to back. Um, we just had a, a, a type of energy and and uh, we just had a lot of swagger, a lot of vibe. We were vibing. It was just a really fun time to play football and to be alive. <laughs> and it all came crashing <laughs> down with that goddamn Donovan McNabb. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I think that was Andy Reid's first playoff team, and we we 
found out since what a darn good coach he is. Yeah, he's a fantastic yeah. coach. Fantastic. Well, coach. Jerry, I I, 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 I promised you I could let you go after 20 because you got some stuff to do. So thank you very, very much for, for coming on. Really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you very much, Greg and Aldo. Uh, it was a pleasure being on, and hopefully I could be on soon. Oh, we'd love to Sounds have you good. back, brother. All right. You guys take All care. Right. Thank you. Take care. See you later. Okay. What a treat. What a treat that was, Greg. That Thank was you fun. very much. He's one of my favorite all-time players. And you reminded me, you know, just before we went live that he was a running back at New Hampshire. And what a clever decision it was to put him at the defensive backfield. And then when you move him into the slot, that's where things started to really click. And he had that incredible speed. So he helped out in special teams like we saw the touchdown against Green Bay. He was he was a great, great player for our Chicago Bears in that magical season, like you said. Well, it, 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 what's odd what's odd is that you see wide receivers make the conversion to DB. Yeah. In fact, you know, jokingly we used to say a, a DB is a wide receiver who can't catch. So, but I think he might be one of the few of the only guy mm-hmm. that went from running back to corner. That is a difficult, difficult transition. Wow. J2K is telling us that Chip Kelly was his coach at uh, yes. New Hampshire. I Chip did Kelly was, was a longtime coach at UNH. Man, I didn't know that. And, and he went from UNH out to Oregon. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just sitting here and talking about that season, I'm I'm getting chills because I'll never forget that feeling of that game against the Cleveland Browns. They're leading through most of the game. The cameras are showing the Browns on the sideline. They're laughing it up. They're like uh, trash talking against the Bears. And while we start to mount that comeback, the words that came out of my mouth were F you guys. I mean, I just went nuts as a fan. It was so I, awesome. I got a confession to make that I, I about that game. So I had, you know, it was my, my first year here. And I was going home after the game because I was basically, my first season here, I was commuting between Buffalo and here. So I, I lived at the Marriott Suites in Deerfield when I was here, and then I'd, I'd go home every couple of weeks for a, a couple of days. Well, I was going home, and I had a um, a friend here uh, for the game. So when I got to like a minute left, and it looked like it was over, I we took off. Oh. I never, I never <laughs> saw the comeback. I got to the airport, and it was like. We fucking won. (laughs) (laughs) I I, really guilty as charged right here. (laughs) Holy cow. Yeah, I've got I've got a rule as a fan. Never turn it off when you're watching TV. Never leave early because you just might miss history. You know, you just might miss it. And so I've been to games. Ever since that game, I I I I, I'm with you because that I mean. Two touchdowns in 29 seconds is, is unbelievable. Just absolutely incredible. It's incredible, man. I, I'm telling you, I'm really getting chills just thinking about that moment, one of the great moments in Bears history. So let's hope for some more great moments. And I got to tell you, this week, this today as we're taping on Thursday, June 15th, is the final day of mandatory 
uh, veteran camp. And uh, I think the final practice will be over in about 20, 30 minutes. And so we've got. Some and really- if I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he cuts it short. They always yeah. cut the, the last day short. So as a as a reward to players, is that typically the reason why? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 you know, when he did his pressure yesterday, he said we're going to work on red zone and stuff. But he made it right away. I said, yeah, he's going to cut this one about a half hour short. <laughs> well, that's great. And I got to tell you, uh, one of the things that uh, I was really pleased to see was the interview that Tevin Jenkins had with the media. I mean, I almost feel like playing the whole thing because it was so revealing, but I, I've got a couple of clips from that. And the first one okay. that I want to play for you, Greg, is him talking about injuries and how he plans to stay healthy throughout 2023. He's been working on certain muscles. This is Tevin Jenkins. The soundbite is 30 seconds long. Just basically lengthening and strengthening muscles and uh, working on all the small muscles that you never think about. Uh, like it's like those like small interior muscles around my neck to build that up so nothing happens again. So I don't get no stingers. I don't have another lapse or whatever happened. Uh, when we play the Eagles, I don't have another anything happen in my back again. You know, I'm doing those muscles around the spine that make it a lot stronger so those things don't flare up. You working with people here or doing some independently as well? Uh, independently. And here as well. I mean, the, the strength coach here is really good. So. so he compliments the Bears strength coach. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who that is and what your familiarity is with him? Well, Jimmy Arthur is the lead strength coach. I don't I'm not familiar with any of his assistants. So I don't know if he's referring about Jimmy or the assistants, but Jimmy, I worked with Jimmy for God, six years, maybe five, six years. And he was Rusty Jones lead assistant and fully buys into Rusty's program. And and really that program isn't just strength and conditioning, but it's nutrition. Uh, They're real, real big on body, uh, body fat, really body and and, uh, lean weight, body fat percentage of body fat. And I I, I know when I had a talk with uh, Ryan Poles, you know, he said, when I was in Kansas city, we never had anybody like these guys, you know, he goes, we might have won more championships if we did, because it just they're so big into that that you got, you know, corners are supposed to have X amount of body fat and and X amount of lean weight. Safeties are a little bit different from them. Running backs are a little bit different from them. Wide receivers are similar to corners. Offensive and defensive linemen obviously can have more body fat but they you know but it's a lot of it's a lean way too and they and they figure out i hope i'm explaining this well but he figures out what is the right weight for the person that that person can carry and be a productive athlete Mm. and so and and the last thing he doesn't want a guy to go like you know you draft a guy and he's 280 and, and you don't want him to be 300 the next year or 305 the next year because he hasn't put on good weight. They want him to put on lean muscle weight and not add fat to it because fat right. slows you down. So right. it's it's an advanced program. They're very good at it. Um, these guys are all buying into it. Uh, but a lot of it, the first thing they, they teach you about is nutrition. 
and to eat the right way. And I remember I might have told the story, so I apologize if I did. But, you know, Rusty gets his, Rusty's first year here and he gets every everybody's bought into was Lovey's second year. Lovey didn't like the strength coach he had. He was a carryover from Dick Geron. Didn't like the, we were getting a lot of injuries, didn't like the program. So we brought in Rusty, who had been at, at Buffalo for about 20 years at that point and very, very successful. And so Rusty sells his program to the players. Players buy into it. They're eating right. Uh, they lose a lot of body fat. They feel great. So now it's Saturday before the first game. And there was a tradition here for years that for the meetings and walkthrough on Saturday, the day before the game, the rookies had to bring in donuts and um, McDonald's breakfast sandwiches and stuff for the veterans and the coaching staff and, and the training staff. And of course, Rusty didn't know this. And in the eating room, there's all this junk food. So he walks in and goes absolutely berserk. Oh my God. When he sees us, throws it all on the floor, starts MFing everybody. Mm -hmm. He goes, You son of a bitches have worked for the last six months just to ruin it in one day. Uh, never happened again. Nobody ever saw a donut in that place again on a Saturday. <laughs> That's wild. Um, all right. So I, I don't have a soundbite for this. I, I have another one from Tevin, and, and, but I'll play in a second. But I also wanted to comment and get your reaction to Tevin saying that he is m much more comfortable and accepting of the fact that he's a guard. When asked, what, why are you accepting of it now more this year? Because last year you said you were a tackle. He said, my job title. <laughs> so he realizes this is it. This is what I'm going to play. Well, you know, I think part of it is you played pretty damn good. You know, and, and so he saw what he could do with the position. And I'd say he's not the first guy who was a tackle in college that ended up playing inside in the NFL. Mm -hmm. The NFL's loaded with him. And, uh, and, and there's a lot of guys who have been Pro Bowl players at the guard position that were originally tackles in college. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he's not the first. Yeah, it's, it, it's something that's tough to swallow when it first happens because you, you're thinking of what you are. But it, it just turned out that, you know, he's a pretty athletic guy. And you have to have athleticism in this outside zone scheme. And so he ends up being the perfect fit for this scheme to play inside. And, and we saw the results. Yep. I mean, I, I, I'll tell you, it's been a long time since I've seen a guard play that physical in a Chicago Bears uniform. I mean, he just destroys people. He really does, and I'm so excited about the fact that he and Nate Davis and Cody Whitehair are going to be the interior of this offensive line. This running game is really, I think, going to improve the running back portion of of running. No offense towards uh, David Montgomery, uh, but I just think that the interior of the offensive line is really going to help this offensive line. 
All right, I oh, want to play I, for I agree you. With you. I think it's going to be a, a and, and a strong running game, and take away Justin Fields from the equation. Just a strong running ba- game from the backs mm-hmm. will really yes. help Justin in the passing game, Indeed. especially when you get into like play action situations. Right. Um, now, I, I think this is something you're really going to enjoy listening to if you haven't already. But this is Tevin Jenkins being asked about the two interior offensive uh, defensive linemen that the Bears drafted, uh, Gervon Dexter, Dexter and Zach Pickens. Very good hand usage out of the, both of them right now. Uh, those two really know how to set up inside and outside moves. I'm, very, I'm seeing it right now. Uh, I've been impressed with how they've been uh, rushing so far. And and we're not even doing power attacks right now. So just seeing their speed game right now, out of like how big, even though how big they are, is just surprising. And when I see, when I do in training camp, when we put the pads on, they're they're going to be much of a harder rushers when they they can actually start bull rushing. So I know, and, and when guys are playing in their underwear, you really can't tell a lot. But the way he phrased that is, he was impressed with hand usage, and I guess you can in OTAs get a sense of this guy's using his hands right. So uh, am I right there, or is he just? Yeah, being... I mean, theoretically, you can't have any contact. But I mean, they're 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 doing drills where they're using their hands, and and I've seen some clips of, of these guys you know, going through some of the bag drills that they do and that really shows their athleticism, the change of direction, their body control, their quickness. And they have all that. It's learning. I mean, they're playing in entirely different schemes than they played in college. So it's really just learning the scheme. And it's not that it's that hard. It's just that they're being asked to do different things. And in this game, the interior defensive linemen got to be disruptive. They've got to get penetration to disrupt that run game. So that means you've got to get off the ball quickly. And one of the things that kind of jumped out on tape with uh, Dexter is that he wasn't always the first guy off the ball. And then you find out later, and, and that's the problem sometimes with you know, watching tape and not knowing what they're being told to do. Yes. But they were playing more of a read and contain type defense and a two gap defense. So he wasn't asked to disrupt like he's going to be asked to do here. And so it, it, it's, you know, a whole difference in philosophy. So now he can let his athleticism take over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes total sense. All right, let's move on to um, this is Demarcus Walker talking about that defensive line. And apparently Walker, when he first arrived at the team, he kind of kept his mouth shut. He was kind of feeling things out. And during uh, when they would get on the field, he started to express himself more. And then Eddie Jackson, the veteran, said, I want to hear more of that. I want to hear more of that. So he's really been a veteran leadership. This is Demarcus Walker in his own words talking about the value of being a veteran leader. I mean, you, you only get one year. People just think that to where if you got a three-year deal, four-year deal, I got four years. No, you got now. You take care of this year, they'll take care of next year. And that's where uh, we're trying to get the maturity to all the players to get to. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, um, well, we got the number one pick last year. So what is there to be happy about? What is there to celebrate about? Like anything that we're doing, we're trying to like learn, lay down a new foundation to get to the promised land. And um, so, I mean, this is just from, I mean, learning from Super Bowl champions at the Broncos, learning from guys who won when Houston went on a run and lost to the Chiefs in that big run. And, you know, the Titans was, um, they had a, the uh, first seed two years ago. So, I mean, all that maturity and uh, wisdom definitely helped me get these guys to challenge them every single day. This guy is a player. Uh, you know, I mean, he's not a superstar player by any means, but he's a, he's a productive player. And listening to him talk as a veteran leader, this, this is encouraging, isn't it? He, he's a grunt. I mean, when you watch the tape and I, I – you know, I get what Flush wants to do with him, play him outside. He, he, the run defense sucked last year. We all know that. So he's trying to make first and second down that much tougher. So you got guys like him and Green that can play defensive end on your base downs. And Walker, you can move inside uh when you get into pass rush situations because he had most of his success as really an interior pass rusher, not an outside pass rusher. And the reality is, I mean, he's played a lot of five technique. He hasn't played much defensive end like they play here, but he's going to help the, uh, the run defense. But I saw a clip and it was just a few days ago. It was on Twitter. and, you know, something like he, he it was on his Twitter account about, like, always working or something like that. Now, I wonder if he had gone home over the weekend and, uh, you know, after uh, OTAs on last week and then was, was working out on his own because it was a brand new uh, video. But he was doing some bag drills and very, very impressive. His, his, his quickness. His explosiveness, his change of direction, his ability to bend all showed up on this little maybe 30-second video uh, that he had on Twitter. So um, he's an interesting guy. No, he's not going to be a Pro Bowl-type guy. But you need a bunch of these guys. You know, I use the phrase win with or win because of. He's not a guy you win because of. He's the guy you win with, and mm-hmm. he helps your team. He helps your team get stronger. And if he becomes a good leader, that's even better. Yeah, I think I found that uh, video as you were talking. Let me play it here. Is this the one you were referring to? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> it looks like it's speeded up. He's so quick. He's got some strength, too, so – well, a nice addition uh, to this Bears team. All right, let's, let's move on. I want to play a little uh, sound from Robert Tanyan, uh, the former Green Bay Packer. Of course, he's got familiarity not only with the offense that Luke gets his running, but with Luke himself. And uh, this is about a minute long. <laughs> this is Tanyan talking about the offense and Luke. It's very versatile. Like Personnel-wise, you can put anyone in there and run the same exact plays, um, different looks to the same formations or a bunch of motions or whatever it is. Um, yeah, that, I think that's like a good offense is a, is a lot of uh, smoke in the mirror to get what you want accomplished. Um, yeah, I'm just really 
excited to kind of be a part of, you know, the creativity that Lucas brought. Yeah. No, he's just smart. He's, he's, he's a, you know, he, he's awesome. Like he's just, he's really in there grinding to like win games and make us better. Genuine, genuinely loves like the men in this locker room. So, you know, I saw him as like a receiver and quarterback coach. So now like him running the meetings and him out there, you know, getting after people and on the, you know, on the microphone, the QB microphone, it's just cool to kind of see like his growth as well as like, you know, he saw me come from, you know, a practice squad receiver, quarterback receiver turned tight end. So it's just cool to, you know, see each other's growth. Greg, I, I know it, it was very difficult to grade Luke Getzey last season because, you know, let's face it, the the, the, the roster, <laughs> you couldn't even call it, you know, year one of the rebuild because they were gutting the roster. And so the players on the team, it's hard to evaluate. But based on what you have seen, what is your feeling about Luke Getzey and how good of an offensive coordinator can he become? I, you know, I think – to be fair, you got to say it's it's incomplete or it's an unknown because he was playing with a deck of cards that didn't have any picture cards in it. <laughs> you, know, you know, so uh, we only saw a glimpse. <laughs> I, I like his philosophy. Number one, I've always liked the offense. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I, the offense itself is very, very good. And and it's very similar to Green Bay's, the Rams, San Francisco, all those guys score points, you know? So it's, the scheme is good. Obviously it's, they're going to construct it in such a way to build into the strengths of the players they have. So is the, are the plays the exact same thing? Not necessarily. Some will be, but then there's going to be some that are going to show, you know, what the strengths of certain players are. Like Green Bay has never been a team that had a big, as far as I can remember anyway, you know, a big tight end like Komet, who's a big guy and athletic. They, they have guys in like San Francisco too. San Francisco got Kittle and Kittle's actually a small guy for a tight end. He, might not be 250 pounds and he tries to block he's, and, and he gets fairly good production, but his production is as a move tight end. It's almost like a big receiver. And that's what a lot of these, a lot of these teams that play this offensive have, And that's what Tanyan fits into. You know, he's your move guy and, and Komet is going to be the why, but because Komet is that is athletic as he is, it gives them a dimension that none of these teams have had at that position, which I think in itself is going to be pretty interesting. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about this growing connection between Justin Fields and DJ Moore. Again, playing in your underwear. So how, how much of a grain of salt should we take when we're hearing these positive reports about that connection? You know, I wrote an article yesterday and I, and it's how social media has, has changed things. You know, OTAs haven't been around that long. I mean, we're talking just a little over 20 years. And, and before that, you know, the off season pro each team had an off season program, but it was, you know, done pretty much the way they wanted to do it. They didn't have all the rules 
that they have now. Mm-hmm. But even going back, and I, I was going to bring it up with Jerry, but we never got into it. Like, there was no such thing as Twitter when, when Zoom was here. Didn't exist. And Dick used to have, Dick wanted to get the guys out of here, and Dick wanted to get the hell out of here, too. So, and we could have 15 OTAs back then, not nine like you have now, or 12 or whatever the hell they are. And I think it's 12. He did them all one week. He had two days. That's right. <laughs> or, you know, and, and so one practice in the morning, another one in the afternoon. So we'd have two <laughs> OTAs per day. Mm-hmm. And then about nine days, we were really done, you know, because you give them off for the weekend. And, You know, you didn't hear anything about it. The media was seldom there. Who was good, who wasn't good, didn't matter. Because what this is, and I want to emphasize this because I, I, I keep seeing this stuff, you know, oh, Justin didn't have a good day. Who the fuck cares? It's preparing for training camp. That's all it is. It's getting the new guys acclimated to the system so that when you put pads on, it, and you've got to go through three or four practices now in, in uh, July when training camp opens up for the last week of July, you're still doing this almost another uh, three or four days of OTA slash mini camp, however you want to call it, because you've got to ramp these guys up and, and it's part of the collective bargaining bargaining agreement that you can't have contact yet so it's what happens now means nothing nobody's going to remember it come august 15th nobody's going to care about it come august 15th but everybody makes a big freaking deal about it yeah you know i i I was listening to the radio coming back i played golf yesterday i'm coming back to my golf match and they're talking but uh Oh, he might be holding on to the ball too long. I wanted to hit the radio. <laughs> you should have called yeah. in. Well, why, why, why didn't you, you know, and I felt like saying, why didn't you say that there was only one starting receiver out there yesterday, and that was DJ? You know, and, and maybe the coverage is pretty good. Don't forget you're going, if he goes 15 for 15, it, it, in a seven on seven drill or a 11 on 11 drill, that means your defense sucks because mm. you're playing against yourself. You know, so you want wins on both sides. Mm-hmm. And Indeed. nobody takes that into consideration. They think about one thing how's the offense doing? Well, you know what? We got defense out there too, and they're trying to grow and they're trying to learn. But this is strictly prep for. It's making sure guys are in shape, get them ready, and so that when you start training camp at the end of July, you hit the ground running. And and really go back and just give you a little history. Even before we had these off-season programs and why there used to be so many two-a-days, you had the two-a-days because there wasn't an off-season program. You didn't have this stuff. And so a lot of guys came into camp out of shape. Some guys had off-season jobs. Mm-hmm. And so it became a tradition that you had to 
first worked these guys into shape and you had a small amount of time to do it. So you worked them twice a day, mm-hmm. you know, but now, I mean, the amount of money they're getting paid. A lot of the off season program is about the mental part of the game, learning the offense, learning the defense, learning how to do it because you can't hit anybody. Mm-hmm. So you're taking the football out of the football. <laughs> or the physicality you're taking the physicality out of the football and when people want to sit there and, and make us think about it and critique the players i i think it's just it's clickbait it's a waste of money you know we used to have going into camp this goes back into the 80s and and before the, there was a salary cap and i've, I've talked about this before but camp would open up you might have two or three draft picks unsigned and probably at least a half a dozen and maybe 10 veterans unsigned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the veterans know that, okay, it's going to be my second contract, probably my last contract. I'm going to, I'm going to let this one go on for a little while. Why? Cause I don't want to go through two days. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, This will be my vacation summer because it's never going to happen again. And so they planned it that way. And you knew that's what was going to happen. And after about the second preseason game, oh, we'll get a deal done now. Because they had their vacation. And you know what? It didn't hurt the football. The football was pretty damn good. It sure was. Okay, so... They tackled a lot better back then. <laughs> yeah, but and it's these guys are pros, mm-hmm. and but for people to to sit and criticize how a guy looks in an OTA or a mini camp, give me a freaking break. Hmm. I just you know it just runs, it, it, especially just reading some of the stuff I've read over the last week drives me up a wall because it's just there's no sense to it. Doesn't mean anything. Well, I'm going to get you riled up probably a little bit more uh, because uh, Preston brought this to my attention. I have not listened to Waddle and Sylvie recently, but he wants your reaction to a take on Waddle and Sylvie reporting that the Bears organization is not happy with Chase Claypool. Now, I went quickly to take a look uh, to get some more information on this. And according to an article at Fansided, here's the quote. According to Waddle and Sylvie of ESPN Chicago, rumors are, rumors are that many within the Bears organization are not happy with where Chase Claypool is at currently. Reports are that although he has time to get healthy, and fully learn the playbook before training camp, many believe he is not self-motivated. So, Preston asks, what do you think about this report? I think it's horseshit. And I'll tell you why. Number one, you know, I've followed this player very closely since he was a freshman at Notre Dame. And I know people that coach him at Notre Dame. And he was a guy that you know, he's a Canadian kid. So he had to make that. He played Canadian high school football, which is anywhere near as good as anything around in the Chicagoland area or anywhere else. And so he had to make that adjustment, yet he played a lot as a freshman. But he first 
made his mark on special teams as a cover guy in special teams and, you know, covering kicks, covering punts, um, tough guy. Uh, he's up for a contract now. See, I think, you know, exactly with, with, with the media here, Aldo, you're not allowed to have an incomplete pass if you're Justin Fields. See, they, they treat these practices like it's a freaking playoff game. So, you know, and it's practice. And with a guy, now I, I've heard Fluce talk about uh, Claypool twice. And both times, if you just listen between the lines, there wasn't anything that came out that showed any kind of disappointment on his part. He's got some soft tissue things we're working, working through. Now, I can say this. If this was during the regular season or during training camp, he'd be practicing. Mm-hmm. But why let a situation like this get worse? And, and, and perhaps it's a minor soft tissue thing and so you let it heal. He's sitting in the meetings. He's going through the mental part of the game. He's out of practice watching it. Don't tell me he's not learning the playbook. <laughs> you're mentally going through every play when you're out there. You know, I played football too. I, I know what goes on when you're on the practice field. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and I also know how the training staff treats injuries this kind of time of year. Very they err to the size of caution. Right, right. Because it's important to not miss time when it counts mm-hmm. come August. Yep. So I think my take on this, made up, in order because that's what they thrive on here, thrive on negativism. According to my source, who's your fucking source besides nobody? <laughs> well, and, you know, I, I have not heard the actual clip from uh, the, the show, but according to that fan-sided report written by uh, Rob Schwartz, he says that Waddle and Sylvie are saying it's a rumor. So, yeah, know, well, you know, rumors are rumors means I made it up. <laughs> I'm starting the rumor. Mike Florio's made a ton of money doing that. <laughs> I, I knew I'd get you started. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Uh, Frank wants to know: Did you ever have a heated exchange with the GM or coaches regarding a draft pick you wanted picked? If so, can you tell us more about that? Who was the player? What was the situation, and so forth? Well, first of all, on draft day, seldom. Because, especially after I came here, because, you know, I ran the scouting department. You have those arguments or discussions in your meetings leading up. You have meetings in December. You have meetings in February. You have meetings in in April leading up to the draft. And there's going to be differences of opinion on a player. Mm-hmm. So how strong is your belief in that player? 
And are you willing to jump on the table for them? And, you know, I, I know I'm an asshole. I'm going to jump. If I want a guy and I really like a guy, I'm not giving up until I know I'm, it's over. I can't win. And, and so I would keep the discussion going. Now, when I, that's when I was a scout. So that was the entire time at New York. And, and George Young kind of preached that type of philosophy. So I was brought up in it. And it's like, if you're going to agree with me, I don't need you. you know, it's I, it's I, a great I, philosophy. Yeah, I, I want contrary opinions. And if you believe in a player, fight for him. So if you're not willing to fight for him, then you must not believe in him. That's the way, the way I think. But mm-hmm. now when I was here and then I was in a decision-making role and I had a report on a guy. And my scout had a report on a guy, let's say it was the area scout or something. And he was a lot different than I was on my report. I said, well, one of us is wrong. And one of us is right, or maybe it's something in the middle. And so I said, we got to watch more tape. But I'd watch tape with that person. That's smart. And, and then I... But I tried to do it this way. I know what he thinks of the player. I know what he likes and mm-hmm. dislikes about that player. He knows what I like and dislike. So, although you look at it through my eyes and I'm going to look at it through your eyes mm-hmm. and see if I come up with something different. And there were times where I said, you know what? You're right. I'm wrong. You got this guy right. And you know, don't forget, he's seeing as, as an area scout, He's seeing the player a lot more than I was, who might have caught one day of practice and saw four game films. Yeah. You know, so, but it, it, it's, it's really how you just want to treat things. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, but, you know, when it comes to the draft, 95% of the time your decisions are made before. And everybody's on board before you even start the draft. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, I, I always really appreciate when you give us some insight as to what's going on behind the scenes. Got a question here from Michael Henneman, who said, "Who asks how many wide receivers will the Bears keep, and will there be a surprise cut here?" So I got the. Uh, Website open here. I can read off some names. Let me uh, see if I can also put it up on the screen for us. Let me do that. And well, I can't see it because I'm using my phone today. Okay, instead of my laptop. But I, you know, I think the number is six. Right now, you're going to have at least five dressed on on Sunday, and you could dress six. But five and six have to be able to play special teams. Mm-hmm. If one of those guys can't play teams, he's not dressing. Because you got, you just have to have a certain amount of <coughs> players that can play teams. Now, what happens when you're putting a roster together and you're, you're getting it, you know, and, and on paper you want to have X amount of linebackers, X amount of DBs, 
you know, corners, safeties, wide receivers or whatever. But what comes into play, again, is special teams. And so there could be a player who, when you look at his talent, let's just say wide receiver for the sake of this discussion, he might be the seventh best pure wide receiver, but he's a hell of a special teams player. Mm -hmm. So you're going to cut number six because number seven can play teams better than number six, or maybe number six can't play teams at all. Okay. So that plays into it a lot. And, And especially when you're, you're trying to round out the bottom of the roster. The stuff. All right. Uh, another question here. Justin Jones, and Creighton actually asked this for Jerry Azuma, but I'd love your take on it. Uh, Justin Jones really went after Green Bay Packers fans, said that they were the stupidest. <laughs> he really was hoping that Aaron Rodgers didn't leave. It probably is a good thing that Aaron Rodgers did leave because he wants to beat the Packers so bad. Uh, what do you think about that? Do you think it offers – bulletin board material for the for the Packers or do you think that hey it's cool let him let him be let him express himself no it's 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 his June mm-hmm. everybody's gonna forget that he said ah, somebody may bring it up you know for going into to week one but the game's here it's not up in Green Bay so if the game was in Green Bay somebody from Green Bay may say that and to rile up the fans to get them a little louder and they got they got a pretty good group of fans out there uh, personally, like you were saying when we were talking to Jerry, you know, you've been up there a few times for games. They're nice people. They're cordial. I, I don't, I've gone up for a number of games when I was working there. And a lot of times I'd take my stepson and my wife and I'd go in I, and they'd stay out and wander the parking lot. And there was oftentimes Green Bay fans would bring them over into their tailgate and give them some drinks and, and some other stuff. And they were just really nice people. And I think that's one of the, the tough things about going to games at Soldier Field. And I hope that when they get to Arlington Park, and I do believe that's where it's going to be. I think all this other stuff is just politics. Um, but the tailgating situation at Soldier Field now, you know, sucks. You got a couple small lots where you can have it. And then after that, you know, you might have to park a couple miles away. Yeah. It's the worst. Yeah. So hate it. Yeah. So like a Buffalo, it's great. And tailgates are awesome there because the, 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 these monstrous parking lots surround 80% of the stadium, Mm. you know, on the one end of the stadium is, is the, the facility, the, you know, the, the team facilities and uh, offices and things like that. So there's no parking there, but the rest of it is all parking. And then even across the street and their tailgate situation is just awesome. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're going to have that wherever the new stadium is, uh, <laughs> I, I think that'll increase the, What's the word, way I want to say? It? The fan experience. Mm-hmm. Make the fan experience that much better. Indeed, absolutely. Um, 
let's get a few more questions in here and then we'll uh, pull the plug on this edition. Okay, we've got to get Don Burr, uh, our resident Detroit Lions lover. Got to get him involved. He says, does Greg fear how good Hutchinson will be and James Houston, the first rookie duel with 20 sacks in 20 years, Detroit? So he's he's basically asking about these two young studs that they have pass rushing the quarterback, Hutchinson and Houston. Uh, how good would you rank those guys or, or your anticipation of how good they can be? Uh, Hutchinson is, is a hell of a player. Mm-hmm. Um, whether Houston's going to be, be anywhere close to that, that remains to be seen. Hutchinson's proved it on the NFL level. I mean, he was real good coming out of Michigan, second pick in the draft. His, he's uh, his agent is our good friend Mike McCartney, and um, you know I think he's just scratching the surface of how good he can be. You know he he's going to be a dynamic defensive end of the league, similar to the Boses, um, and that's good for Detroit. It's good for him. It's good for football, but do I think they're going to have two guys with twenty sacks? No. They might not have. Do you know how hard it is to get twenty sacks? Oh my goodness! <laughs> Jeez. Ain't gonna happen. Right. It, it, Ain't it, gonna happen. Yeah, I think there's only been one year when somebody said no. There, I don't know if anybody's had twenty sacks yet in a year. Yeah. Didn't I, Quinn I, set the record the uh, a couple yeah, of years but, ago? Nineteen and a half or eighteen and a half, whatever that. Yeah, was. I, I I agree. I, uh, uh, what's his name from the Giants, uh, who's on every TV show? Michael Strahan. But he, he had that was, the, um, and and his last sack that year was a gimme. Mm-hmm. Barb laid down when he. Uh, <laughs> oh, that, that was so obvious. Yeah. <laughs> okay. the, the gall to deny that he didn't give him that. That was ridiculous. Mr. Inglewood wants to know, do you think that the Bears have a formidable enough secondary to go up against Justin Jefferson uh, of the Vikings, Christian Watson of the Packers, and Jameson Williams? Wait, wait, uh, Christian uh, Watson? <laughs> Come on, he had a couple of good games at the end of the year, and you're going to put him in camp? <laughs> That's right, and he had uh, he, he had he had somebody who's going to be in Canton thrown to him. Who's he got thrown to him now? Uh, Justin Jefferson's a different story. Uh, yeah, I think this is a, the secondary last year we talked about this a lot. Mm-hmm. I think there's a shitload of talent on the secondary. I'm not sure about the depth of safety, mm-hmm. but. I think the corners, you know, guys got banged up last year, and some of these young guys had a play, and and you saw that hey, they got some talent there, and then you're you know you got two draft choices this year, both are pretty damn good players, hmm. and you got all these guys who were learning last year. Yeah, I I, I think it's going to be the most competitive position in camp on defense running back on offense and, <laughs> excuse me corner mm-hmm. on defense 
By the way, uh, Swift uh, says that Strahan had 22 and a half. Uh, so thanks for that, okay. Swift. He, he looked that up. And then Joe O'Donnell just popped in with this question. Do you think we've done enough with the offensive line, or are we not done yet uh, bolstering that OL? I think as you're starting – well, you're starting five. We know who the guards and tackles are. The center's either going to be White here or Patrick. Mm-hmm. That's – that's a done deal. Is the depth what you want? I can't say yes. I can't say no because we haven't seen them and we're not going to see them until August, you know, and, um, you know, I've been down on Borum, but down on Borum because I don't think he's a starter. I think he's an adequate backup and get you out of the game. Um, I just don't think he has the movement skills that are preferred in this type of offense. Okay. But, you know, you put them in another scheme and he may be, not to say a star, but a damn good player. Mm. You know, so, but who knows what Leatherwood is. I think, you know, it's, it's to be determined on the depth of the offensive line. But I think, you know, the starting five and, and the loser of the Patrick uh, white hair battle is going to give you at least one viable backup. You know, then some of these guys like uh, Carter, the rookie last year, um, Leatherwood, Borum, you have this kid, uh, Huey, a, a free agent, undrafted free agent from Pitt, who was would have been drafted if it wasn't for the injuries he had at Pitt. Uh, you know, they, they're they're interesting guys. But let's see what they're like when the bullets start flying. Yep. And you talked about Dieter Iceland on our last show. Yeah, and, and Dieter. I, that, I, yeah, I've got that. Dieter Iceland is a he's a he's a good backup. I mean, he had to play a little bit last year and played well. So I'm I really inside. I'm not worried about. It's who's the third tackle, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and who's the fourth tackle, <clears throat> and are they good enough? Right. Well, I'm still pulling for Larry Borum. I hope that he can. Um, well, I know he can play right tackle. Yeah, not exactly, you know. But I mean, you need a swing guy to to dress, you know, because you only usually only dress seven on Sunday. Mm-hmm. You you dress eight when you when you're not sure what your depth is, mm-hmm. and you know you preferably you have a guy who can play both tackle positions and guard. And then a guy who can play guard and center as your sixth and seventh guy mm-hmm. <clears throat> on Sunday. But you go to eight when you're not sure exactly what that depth is, and you, you need another guy just in right. case. Greg, I saw uh, that you put up uh, on Twitter, uh, you commented on the fact that the pool of available pass rushers is dwindling quickly. Yeah, so there's I one under- left. I understand. Yeah, I understand what Ryan Poles is doing in terms of his meticulous way of building this squad. But uh, uh, do you think that maybe he's made a mistake here and not jumping on one of these pass rushers, which who I think, you know, Leonard Floyd's contract, you know, it could get up to $10 million or so with incentives. And then uh, a couple of the other contracts I thought were really, really fair minded. Well, they're, they're, deals. The, the, I tweeted out too. I said the market's been set. Yeah. I mean, if, if you go out and, and sign in Gakwe, it's been set what he's getting. 
And, and now, he just the, I, the interesting thing is this, though. Is the, and I was looking up some things that had no agent listed. And I thought, well, maybe they just didn't know who the agent is. He didn't have an agent. He just hired them a couple days ago. Exactly. You know, he hired Drew, and which tells me, I'm not taking part in OTAs, go to a mini camp, I don't want them. You know, it's like, exactly. hold on. I'm, I'm taking the spring off. Now, the guy is known as a worker. Yeah. Yeah. So you're not worried about him not being in shape. He just didn't want to go through all this stuff. He, yeah. You know, like like Nate Davis said yesterday. So I never take part in the first part of, of the off-season program. I got my own routine I go through. Right. And and that's their prerogative. It is voluntary. And he, so go he ahead. probably has no interest at all in learning uh the Bears run defense. <laughs> well, no, you know what? That that's a little bit of a fallacy too. Because okay. I went back and I looked at, I mean, he's not a, a, a bust as a run defender. He's just not the greatest run defender. But I looked through his play time in his years in the league. He's averaged like 71% of the defensive snaps throughout his career. Hmm. Oh, okay. okay, so that means he's playing a lot more than just as a designated pass rusher. In fact, he's had as high as like 77%. I tend to agree with Cornelius here. He says that he thinks Poles already has his edge rushers on this team. And I believe that he has some faith in, in Gibson and some of these players. He thinks that they're going to play. And maybe even, you know, this uh, Terrell Lewis, the kid from Alabama. Oh, shit. Here we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I love that, Terrell Lewis beat the number one pick, right, three times for sacks in practice. Yeah, but Brett can't use his hands and can't hit the guy. So how did he beat him? Yeah, and that, that's one of the things I make of my point out there. See, they, they make right out to look bad with making that statement when the truth is you can't do anything about it. Yes, very true. <laughs> very you know, true. so, uh, you know, I, I don't want to see the BS. I, I you know, it, it's just, and to me, it's, it was indirectly throwing a shot at Darnell Wright mm -hmm. and purposely throwing a shot at Darnell. Wasn't trying to push up Lewis. It was trying to knock Wright. Yeah, interesting. Okay. It uh, can't even block a, a free agent defensive end. <laughs> Uh, uh, CJ Williams says yeah, he's got a sneaky suspicion that this is a development year for the defense and they ride with who they got. And we just lost Greg's video, so we'll ho hopefully we'll get him back. And Swift says Terrell Lewis has some upside, but Greg is right about making a big deal out of June rep. I lost Remember you for one second there. What, what start start uh, your sentence? Uh, yeah, CJ was saying that he thinks it's a, he has a sneaky suspicion that this is a development year for the defense and that they ride with who they got. And I just got to remind everyone that Paul said we're not going to fix everything with this in this offseason. That's just true, but you know, Flu said it again yesterday. We're looking for a defensive end. Mm. So now it's three times it's been said. Twice by Flu and once by Poles. Mm, interesting. So, um, and, and Biggs tweeted it yesterday um there's a couple older guys uh there's houston 
who uh, played in Kansas City, uh, but he's 34. There's Ingram. He's 34. I just can't see Paul's pulling the trigger on one of those guys. Mm. And the so that leaves really one guy mm-hmm. and Gakway, unless you make a trade for somebody. So I'm right. talking, you know, I'm talking man on the street. There's one guy. There's Ngakwe. Now, could there be somebody in the in the trade market? Sure. Who? I don't know. Yeah. There there has been uh speculation. I even posed threw in the possibility of a trade in one of his comments uh this right. season. I agree 100% with uh, Swift. Uh, Terrell Lewis has some upside, but Greg is right about making a big deal out of June reps. Remember, Carson Taylor was beating Tev Jenkins last year at this time, and he's, he's right. You just can't make a big deal out of these June reps. Um, let's see. if we got Reps another... without pads, and that you can't hit the other guy. Yeah. What do you think about Robert Quinn? A couple of people have brought up Robert Quinn. That and... ain't happening. Not happening? Why? Not happening. Um... He did nothing last year for this group while he was here. Mm-hmm. Did nothing when he went to Philly. And nobody's tried to sign him. Yeah, it is weird, you know, because you look at his stat sheet and he's got one good year, one bad year, one good year, one bad year. And this would be the year for the good year. But uh, I'm not sure. He he was so disappointed that he was moved from the Chicago Bears. I think it left a bitter taste. So the Bears would have to make an attractive I mean, offer. Could, yeah, I mean, theoretically, could you do it? I just don't see it happening. And yeah. part of it is they want to – get their bang for the buck so to speak and he's into the he's very big into the analytics of it of you know looking at the guy's injury history games missed already how old he is that's one of the reasons mac was moved he doesn't play complete season and so you're playing a lot of uh money for a guy that gets hurt every year and so you know if you're paying a guy 15 million 10 million 8 million you've got to get that money back in production mm-hmm. and the older they get especially if they got an injury history the chances of getting that are less and less so you know as he explained to me in a conversation you know when he goes when the analytics say no I'm not going that way. And so that tell just knowing that, that tells me no one Quinn, you know, because just he, he didn't show up with these yeah. guys last year. So what's going to make him show up now? He is a mysterious uh, type of uh, player performer. Swift has a question for you. He goes, why doesn't Greg like Justin Houston? Swifty thinks that he's a much more realistic option uh, over Yannick. I don't dislike Justin Houston. He's Mm -hmm. 34 years old. And so that just works against. See, what I'm trying to do is not look at the player look at the age of the player and what he's done recently. Now, last year, Houston put up some numbers in Baltimore. The year before, he was in Indy playing for Flus, 
and did shit. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so and is before that he was in KC and so polls is with him, but you could see that you know he was on the back nine of his career. And then you add, throw in the analytics, he'll be 34 years old. I just can't see him. Now, he may have to if he's, you know, I got to get a pass rusher and there's nobody else out there. Right. Um, he may have to do that, but I, I, I just think it works against what his philosophy is. Swift says uh, he's, that he thinks Houston is a good one-year fit to mentor the younger guys. And he had 11 sacks and eight sacks while he was at Indianapolis. You know, I, I think I, I agree with your point regarding the age, but yeah, if you are going to sign a guy for a one-year contract, then, you know, you make the exception to your rule of trying to uh, yeah, acquire I, guys under 20. I, I can't, I, I'm under saying 30. that it's probably, I, I'm not against the player. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to, I put, what I'm doing is I'm saying this through the eyes of Ryan Poles. Sure. And what has he done in the past? And 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 so his history says no. But now, like last year, he brought in Riley Reef. Late Riley Reef was what thirty two, mm-hmm. maybe thirty three. So yeah, you can't totally throw it out. Mm-hmm. But it it's um, yeah, it, it's a maybe. And and if you're only getting them to really play on third down as a DPR and you think there's enough gas in the tank for him to do it, then yeah, go ahead and do it. Like I said, I'm not criticizing the guy's a good player. And he really surprised me last year in Baltimore. What do you have? If you want to look it up, I think it was nine and a half sacks. Eight eight and a half, I think. Eight and a half. Yeah, I mean, he had pretty good production. Mm -hmm. Playing in a rotation. So yeah, it's it's not out of the question. I just you know if if he was twenty nine or thirty, I'd say yes. I mean to me, Floyd was the answer in my opinion. But again, it was he's thirty one, mm-hmm. and now there's people that have said nobody said the Bears were in on it, but people have said that Floyd turned down better money to go to the Bills because he wanted to shout at a ring one more time. So yeah. could the Bears been involved? They might have been. I don't mm. think we'll ever know the answer to that. Yeah, interesting. By the way, I was wrong. It's nine and a half sacks, and uh, Swift uh, thanks you for the response. Yeah, I, I thought it was nine and a half because I, I looked it up, I don't know, a few days ago. You're always working, Greg Gabriel. Well, no, I, I just didn't recall him. Being that productive, I, I I know they were disappointed in him in Indy. I mean, I know that for a fact. I talked to the people in Indy. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, when you look at the – they hopefully have fixed the run defense. They still need a pure speed rusher. They could have one in Dominique Robinson, mm-hmm. but you just don't know. I mean, exactly. You know, and I don't think you can expect a renaissance from Gibson. You can hope that there is from Gibson, but you can't expect it. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, you'd rather deal 
from a position of strength and get, because right now, as the roster stands right now, there is not a guy on this roster that'll scare another team as far as being an edge pass rusher. Well, this has been a great episode uh, for many reasons. And before we sign off, uh, what about this long break now, 40 days until the guys are back in camp for the start of training camp? Uh, it's the worst 40 days for a GM and a head coach. <laughs> you, you were going to say it's that. Not, and it has nothing to do with – because we got nothing to do when we're on vacation. It's please don't get in trouble. Exactly. Don't get in trouble. Stay in shape. You know, I was also uh, Tevin Jenkins. One of the things that he said in the press conference yesterday, he said that during this 40 day break, he was going to work on his pass blocking, which it was encouraging for him to hear. He, he said, I still need to improve my pass blocking. So that's one of the things I'm going to be focus, focusing on during the break. Underline that. So well, I no, love no, that. All these guys, all these guys are going to continue. They're they're going to work out four or five days a week now. Okay, because I know some one. guys go on vacation and well, they take might pictures. go on maybe a one week vacation. Okay. But they, they they know as soon as they you know five weeks from now they got to go to work and they got to be ready to go. This yes. is their job. They're getting paid a lot of money for it. Yes, indeed. Okay, yes, yeah, indeed. you can go on a week's vacation, but all these guys, you, you, you're going to see guys that might be seven, eight pounds leaner than they were are today when they leave. They're, they're today, you know, during the course of the week, they do a group of guys every day. You know, they meet with a strength coach and they're given their assigned weights and their assigned body fats and stuff and what they're supposed to do mm-hmm. is for workouts during the uh, this time frame. It's not like you're off. You're not here. Right. But you're not here and so you're not you're not being supervised. Now, if guys are here, they live in town and they're not going anywhere. They can come over. They can go over to Hallisall and lift. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. they, you can't have contact with the coaches. I think the strength, I, they keep changing the rules. I think the strength coach, they can work with the strength coaches, but they can't, can't do anything with the position coaches. Okay. Right. And, but it's, you know, the big thing with the GM and the head coach is like, it, you know, Jason Pierre-Paul on the 4th of July blows up a cherry bomb in his hand. You know, um, that's what you worry about. Yeah, he lost a finger. <laughs> that thing was mutilated. <laughs> yeah, I, I, he's lucky he played again. And, exactly. you know, it's those types of things um, – Getting arrested for something stupid. Mm-hmm. It, it It's like, you know, remember who you are. Remember what you got to do. Remember what your job is and be careful. Remember Hill Street Blues? Yeah, be careful the, the, out there. Yeah. <laughs> hey, be careful out there. That's, that, that's what Blues should say when they leave this afternoon. Indeed. And I just want to let people know that, uh, as CJ says, this is the worst two months of the sports calendar. You're absolutely right. But uh, Greg and I have uh, got really cool plans for uh, our upcoming shows. We're going to continue to pump out shows. Uh, We're going to have more great guests like today's great guest, uh, Jerry Azuma. 
And what a guest this guy was. Holy cow. And uh, I'd love to have him back. He said he'd love to come back. We should bring him back and, and yeah. talk a lot more. Um, and we're talking about bringing in a sports agent. I know a lot of fans would love to get to know more about the sports agent business and how that works. And so I got a mailman coming to the door, which means I got to get a package. So we got to say. You say you goodbye. I'm saying goodbye. <laughs> All right. Goodbye. Take care, my friend. Okay, I'll, buddy. I'll, I'll wrap it up here. Okay, later. All righty. Um, that is Greg Gable. Always a, a pleasure working and talking football with him. But I just wanted to assure everyone that the, our upcoming shows over these next two months are going to be filled with uh, football talk. I'm also going, you know, if you've got ideas on what uh, – you'd love for Greg to get in, in depth. Uh, let me know, you know, cause I, I've been churning out some ideas, you know, he, one of the things that Greg does really well is talk about offensive line play. So I was thinking about maybe cutting up some tape and he, him showing us some of the things that uh, we should be looking for offensive linemen. I know uh, we've done a, a number of, uh, we've seen a number of articles of how to watch the game of pro football and so forth. And I'd love to get, Greg's uh, take on that. And if you've got ideas for guests, uh, let us know. Uh, let's see what we got here. We got uh, Swift saying, I thought he wanted to have the mailman. As a <laughs> you know what, though, Swift? He just reminded me, you know, I I'm going to ask Greg if he'd love to have some of the followers. Come on. I'd I love to see you, Swift, you know, have a discussion with Greg about football. Talk about fireworks. We could, we could have some big-time fireworks on that. So if you're interested on that, uh, J2K says how to scout prospects. Yeah, you know, that would be – Greg taught a, a course that Danny Shimon uh, of the Barroom Network was a pupil on. And so he's got still – he told me somewhere in his basement he still has the the, the, the syllabus and so forth. And so I, I told him, look for that. Maybe we can we can – you know, borrow from that and, and, and talk about, you know, the proper way of scouting and maybe just focus on a position. Cause you know, I, I think uh, if we were to talk about scouting all the players, we could be here for a lot of shows um, and Swift, we got a commitment from Swift. All right. All right. I love it. <laughs> and ST Scott says, Greg is checking the mailman's arm length. <laughs> Cornelius is saying discuss Terrell Lewis. That's a good a good topic idea too. I'd like I would pull out some of that tape from Terrell Lewis, both pro and college, and get you know some more some more thoughts from Greg about that. Um, Mark, you, you wanted to talk about Mark Colombo. Uh, so, so yeah, we can bring up some of that old stuff. No, no doubt about it. If his arms, if the mailman's arms are over 34 inches, don't rule it out. What, you know, that, I'm sure Greg would say that has to be a prerequisite for a mailman because you need those long arms to deliver the mail into the mailbox from the vehicle so you don't have to lean out. <laughs> so that would be a ton of fun to have. <laughs> hilarious and and greg also loves to uh talk about tv shows and uh, i know he's a fan of a, a number of tv shows that we're going to be talking about not heart to heart we're not going to talk about heart to heart or kojak or mcleod and benny hill <laughs> rock for fives i don't think we're going to go back that far uh but we'll definitely talk about some of the shows that he loves and get his take on stuff so 
Anyway, uh, that is our show for today. I'm trying to think, do we have anything going on tonight? We do not. Barney B. Jones, Swift says, Postal Service talk, taking the guys with Elite Wings fans. <laughs> That's right. Elite Wings fans and, uh, you know, have to have a, a good walking posture, <laughs> right? <laughs> the Fog Eye, another uh, Greg Gabriel favorite. But uh, that is it for today. I could stay here all day talking to you, but I got some. Uh, uh, I got to walk these dogs. I'm, I'm babysitting my my daughter's dog, and this dog is one pain in the ass. I love her, but <laughs> she's a pain in the ass. She's asking me for treats and food and walks and uh, terrifying my old 15 year old dog. <laughs> so I'm gonna. I'm going to tend to the dogs now, and I want to thank you all for joining us live. Those of you who did not see the Jerry Azuma interview, you should go back and check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, and uh, Dan Aguirre actually recorded a question for Jerry about what happened in that magical uh, season, the 2001 season. What happened? We thought we were going to go deep into the playoffs, and uh, Jerry had a great response to that. So uh, for uh, Greg Gabriel and all of us here at the Barroom Network, we'll see you next time. Take care.